0: week's bet the process podcast rufus and i welcome in a good friend a sports modeler a golf savant and rufus and he nerd out on golf modeling so you know get your slide rules out and listen to this and uh you know pull out your steamed mussels and black truffle potato chips and enjoy this one so with that let's start the process (laughs) bet the process
1: bet bet bet, bet. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, We're looking for the edge of massy Peabody rankings, crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic.
0: Welcome body to another episode body of the Bet the Process right Podcast, where Rufus is in Utah at a really cool uh, event. And that event is the um, AP Summit. And um, he's, why don't you tell us a little bit what you've been up to the last couple of days and then uh, why you need to run off so quickly. And then we're going to get into a really cool interview with uh, one of the best golf modelers in the world next to Rufus.
1: Yeah. What are you doing, Rufus? I'm in Utah in Park City in this amazing ranch sprawling ranch uh with a bunch staying here with a bunch of people and let's see i'm headed to play golf i've been i played golf yesterday i've been essentially socializing talking to people old friends a lot of people i see like once a year it's a, a gathering of of people in the ap community
0: got it and uh what has your been the highlight so far of that conference well, I
1: think when I stuck my approach on 18 to four feet and made it to win the, whatever our name of our golf tournament was yesterday, um, there were only seven people in it, but it still felt, it still felt good. What are but, you, I mean, um, yeah, yesterday was Jeff. I'm not exaggerating. It felt like one I know, of you told me it was the best day of your life because one of, well, I got up, I, I, I got up early. I ran, I stretched, I lifted, I was just in. And then I went and played golf in a picturesque location with perfect weather and great, people and i just and i was just in the moment and just really enjoying every single every single second of it i was in a great headspace and just really enjoyed it so i think the takeaway is i need to work out in the morning more often
0: it releases the endorphins it's really nice um us open week any thoughts going into us open week i will say the reasons that are exciting for you i'm
1: not i didn't get my morning workout in because of this and a a problem with, with the model. But uh, what did you ask about us open week?
0: I just, just any thoughts going into it. And I know we talk a little bit about it uh, with Will in the next segment, but are, are, you know, any any things that you're looking forward to seeing like themes that you are curious about, like, you know, like the obvious narratives right now are if I were to name the top three narratives, I would say it's Scheffler. If he figures out his putting will win this thing going away. Homa because he's got this sort of great familiarity and great course, is, is a, you know, quote unquote, uh, dark horse." and then uh, and then I, I don't know what the third one would be. What, what, what would you say?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I have been less involved in this U.S. open than probably any major in a long, long time. I did I, I basically just did everything Sunday night, and I haven't really looked at it since Monday morning.
0: Okay, well, we will let you go because I know you're going to get to golf. Um, we're about to bring in uh, Will, golf modeler, and Rufus, and we'll have an unbelievable discussion on modeling golf. So we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in one of our favorite guests. Who's I, I never know really what to call him. What, what like what is? I mean, his moniker on Twitter is Saramek. His show he shows up in my phone as will so there we go i don't know what any of that means but um he's one of the most
2: the last podcast jeff i can't remember was it i think it was mystery guest or something like that right yeah yeah just like i don't know if any guys guys have netflix
0: but there's like a there's a thing you can do on netflix where there's just a question mark and it's a mystery video and don't know what show you're getting so that that's what my kids always want to watch um we are blessed now with two of the top golf you know, modelers and betters. And actually what's interesting is I will call you two of the top golf modelers, because ultimately that's what we're talking about on today's show a little bit. It's the idea. Cause every, every week when we don't have a Calcutta, I will ask, Will, who do you like this week? And he never typically has a lot of thought into it. So what's the reason why that is? Will, from a day-to-day standpoint, what are you most, uh, concern with as you go into the us open yeah well, well
2: firstly thanks for having me back on um it's always good to be here and i'm actually sitting next to rufus uh we're sharing the same mic doing this podcast and it feels good to to be with him as well after a year or something like that but you guys yeah. kind of
0: look like brothers a little bit like uh, yeah we both I, have I, I got blonde hair.
2: yesterday as well yeah
0: you're he's he's like the better looking brother exactly and yeah and he sounds smarter and probably funnier in that sort of dry dry british kind of way you know maybe okay you're really putting the pressure on here i I think rufus definitely has a better beard than me and can
2: grow a better beard than me i don't know about that
0: that's taken like 16 months to grow right exactly like something like that anyways okay so u.s open week what does u.s open week look like for both of you guys yeah well On a
2: given golf week, whether it's US Open this week or or really any other, I'm not that involved in the projections. I'm not that involved in checking how we compare to the market that much. I feel like my main role each week is checking that the model is working okay, checking that all the inputs are correct. Uh, If there are any bugs helping uh, one of my employees try to fix them, and making sure that the people that uh, trade using our models um, are able to get the model and the projections for themselves as well. So if, you know, really an afterthought, afterthought for me at the end of the week is seeing okay, who do we actually like for the US Open? You know, what do we make Kepca? What does the market make Kepca? And even that is often just from a curiosity perspective and also uh, an idea synthesis perspective. So if we see we're very different from the market from someone else, uh, trying to understand why that is and trying to use that as a platform for making improvements to the model, potential improvements to the model in future. That's, well, that's really interesting. That's also very similar to my
1: process and definitely aspirationally where I am, where I'm not, I'm, I'm running projections at the beginning. I'm basically kicking things off on Sunday night, Monday morning, typically, Sunday night on a major week. And then from there, it's it's traders, it's everybody mm-hmm. else. And and I'm around to put out bugs when I have to, like this morning, apparently our tea times weren't matching up properly. Mm-hmm. And so um, my workout had to get cut short to like a total of five to 10 minutes as I had to go fix something.
0: Yeah, how many calories do you think you burned in that five minutes? Not like too many, thir- thirty calories, twenty maybe. Debugging yeah, stuff like one consumes a lot of my calories. As <laughs> it well. does.
1: It's it's so frustrating to me because it feels like you want to automate everything, but as soon as you put out one problem, there's another problem pops up. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm some- guessing you're a lot better than I am. And it, I guess. What's the word I'm looking for? Like having code where you can throw errors better and like to have a better sense of what if something goes wrong. Cause I kind of build mm. things typically as if like it's always going to be correct. It's always going to stay the same. If there's an error. I have to go figure out what it is. It's not going to like tell someone, Hey, error, T times weren't, re- weren't
2: read in properly. For sure. Yeah. So error reporting, designing your code. So error reporting is, is good, is really useful. And also similar to that thinking ahead to all the possible edge cases that might pop up in future and designing your code to be able to handle that before it actually creates an error in future. So
1: Will, do you actually, do you sweat any bets? Do you like look and see what you have mm. like on a tournament on Thursday and check the scores and be like, Oh, we're looking pretty, pretty good.
2: Yeah. It definitely varies week to week. I mean, I kind of try not to sweat it because it's, it's another calorie consumer or a, A calorie burner burner that uh, doesn't really help. Um, Doesn't you can't really change things obviously by sweating a game more or less, or a player more or less. So it is something I try to avoid. But every now and then I'll hear from the traders that oh you know Patrick Rogers is first and we've got a big position on him. And then all of a sudden I find myself checking the the current scores every five minutes. Um, But on the whole, no, I don't really sweat it. So how much of your time is devoted towards long-term model building
1: and is it the sort of the same for, for your employees? Yeah.
2: That are, because I know you have employees on the data science side as well. Yeah. I, I try to focus as much of my time as possible on the long-term stuff um, on making improvements and building better models or building new models for new sports. Um, But obviously there is a balance to be had there and, I do feel like we've cost ourselves money over the last couple of years by basically having the long-term mindset, right. By not being involved in the model in the, in let's say the golf model on a day-to-day basis and making sure, you know, reviewing everything and, and perhaps putting in more subjectives and expressing our opinion a bit more beyond just letting the data speak for itself. I do feel like that's cost us a bit over the last couple of years, but hopefully in the long term it will pay off because the focus obviously has been in the long term and eventually, yeah, I'll have more, I'll continue to have freedom to work on the more macro stuff than the micro stuff because I've trained our employees and because our employees have been given the responsibility and the accountability to deal with those issues themselves. They know how to deal with things when they come up. Yeah. They know better how to debug things. Um, they they're just they're better trained right they have more experience and because i've tried to be standoff on that stuff um they're gonna learn faster and be in, in a position to deal with that more micro stuff in the short term so in future no matter how many potentially no matter how many markets we take on i can still continue to work on on the macro stuff
1: so what are the things you're talking about in the short term that that you could have made more money on or, or that you think could have been better because i know you mentioned to mm-hmm. me yesterday that that You guys have done a lot with injuries and quantifying injuries lately, but you didn't seem super happy with it, which I don't think you can ever be happy with trying to quantify injuries. It seems
2: like very, very difficult. It's very hard, um, especially if you don't have a lot of historical data on injuries to kind of backtest and see how significant their impact would have been in previous tournaments. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the micro stuff that we've kind of sacrificed on the way that we cost ourselves money, I think it's just constantly reviewing the projections going into each tournament or reviewing the projections going into each match. Um, we do tend to, I do have quite a laissez-faire attitude regarding like a, a hands-off attitude regarding um, what I let my employees do and in terms of not double-checking all of their work. And every now and then, a month later, we realized, oh, they hadn't been doing something quite right. And that's cost us X amount of money, potentially. And that could have been avoided if I'd been more hands-on, right? That could have been avoided if I was constantly checking their work. But instead of doing that, I'm looking to kind of build a new model or uh, build a new feature into the model rather than looking uh, for problems in the existing code. So it's less of finding exceptions or players where the mo- the, the
1: model isn't where the model might be a little bit off and it's more issues
2: where the the process might not be followed perfectly. I think so. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's like a a course characteristic for instance, that hasn't been entered properly or like we think the model thinks the course is actually going to be in Mexico instead of the U S which can have implications or like the weather forecast that has come through looks very strange and no one thought to question it, that kind of thing. That's yeah. The, the weather for the strange weather forecast is a I guess a, a red flag that we've dealt
1: with this year. We had the out to sea model one week in Hawaii where mm. somehow when i put in the coordinates for the course many years ago, this is the the course in Honolulu, Wailai, um, I had missed by twenty miles and it was twenty miles out to sea. Right. <laughs> and the weather seemed really really weird and windy there.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and unless you're like really involved in the model building process or unless you're really, if you have your money on the line, as if you're the model builder that is also basically the person that's using that model to bet with, you have so much more investment in the process of making sure things like the forecast are correct, right? And if you have employees, kind of no matter how you try to incentivize them, they're just not going to, naturally have that level of diligence or that level of detail checking that you might but hopefully over time you can help instill that and and kind of motivate them in that way too it's hard I mean that's something I've struggled with both on the betting
1: side and with unabated in terms Mm -hmm. of just the standards I guess I hold myself to and it's not just the standards I hold myself to it's the fact that I kind of speak this language in a certain way and I kind of expect other people to understand me Mm -hmm. and yeah and I don't necessarily communicate
2: in a way that's easy for someone who doesn't speak my language 100%, uh, to understand. One hundred percent. Yeah, explaining some of these concepts, communicating some of these concepts is actually really, really hard. But over time, I've actually found it a beneficial process, not just for the people that I'm communicating with, but for myself as well. Because it. Can you guys give me, me an exa- exa- Can
0: you course. give me an example of like something that is difficult to communicate? I think it's just managing people in general. Okay, I mean.
2: I mean, I'll I'll give you a little example, Jeff, and maybe this is a bit kind of meta or whatever, but even when Rufus and I tried to talk about modeling stuff, we have very different jargon in our head and very different concepts in our head that make explaining concepts to one another that we might already be aware of and that we might have already both experienced still quite difficult. And I think part of the reason for that is there is no, for example standard book on sports betting that's laid out all the jargon and all the terminology uh so that when you're communicating with one another on golf modeling for instance you can use the same terminology the same jargon the, the, there isn't that like for in blackjack for instance you have tons and tons of books out there that have all got the same terms to describe particular right. concepts you know like wanging and big spot a big player all this stuff yeah but in bp sport, yeah bp yeah in I sports modeling that.
0: nice nice um <laughs> supposed to be a good bp he
2: might yeah i don't i don't no, think actually he looks he BP. like
0: walks in with casino and he screams card counter he's like a skinny yeah, white a guy, guy that like yeah you would he you would scream card counter maybe should yeah. go ahead um
2: And also, we we wouldn't be a good spotter-BP combination because we'd look too similar and people would pair us straight away. Um, But there there isn't that in in sports modeling, really. There is no standard book with standard terminology and standard concepts that makes communication between one another kind of seamless and, and quick and easy. And yeah, I've experienced that when I've met up with other sports modelers. And I experienced that with my employees and my team as well. And they'll come from... A traditional statistics training background you know that's what they've studied at college and they have their particular terms and the you know the the particular questions that they've had to answer in the exams I I don't have that so it's hard for me to reference you know use what I've learned uh, and explain what I've learned in terms of traditional statistic statistics background so it it takes a bit of time to kind of standardize your communication well you and I are both pretty hacky I think. Yeah, we're good we've problem kind of solvers. Learn as we've gone yeah. along, right? Like we've had, built these ideas in our head that we don't even fully understand ourselves at times. And that it makes it, again, even harder to explain to other people.
1: Yeah, when you can't communicate it to
2: yourself well, but yeah. you know you have you have the makings of an idea and,
1: and you're like, how do I work through this? And sometimes I think like, oh, I need I need somebody to help me work through it or oh. I want someone else's perspective. And if they can't understand any of what you're saying, it's a problem.
2: Yeah. And sometimes so, I'll look at like a one of my team members work, know that it's wrong and not be able to explain to them why it's wrong. Right. And that's a really frustrating process for both of us. For sure.
0: So can we can we go back to this idea? And, and maybe we can do this going into the US openly. This is a segue into it. You guys talk about looking at your numbers and seeing where you're off market and it sounds like one of the reasons you do that is just to make sure there's no bugs in anything like that it's a sanity check but i i would assume that over time you also look especially if you're not doing particularly well results wise why you might be off market and and when do you start to actually use that to inform r and d in improving a model like what's that process look like and then hopefully maybe we can segue into the actual US Open and see where some of your numbers may be off market and, and understand why that might be. Just got our model finished running now as well. Um,
2: Yeah, that that's definitely a big part of, of finding improvements in modeling is kind of, especially when you're going through a bad period, bad period of results, trying to see where you're most different from market and then question whether you're actually happy with your position, then.
1: Well, if the right,
2: I mean, the market. If you're off
1: market on somebody, and the market doesn't move towards you. Hopefully, you're directionally correct, mm. and you're probably not. You're probably not expecting to return your theoretical on that guy. No, never. But you're doing something a little bit different than
2: other people are looking at things in a bit of a different way. Yeah, and it, you know a lot depends on whether you can actually understand why you're different from the market. Like there's a big difference between like, I, I that's can so be, important. That's a great point. And I that's can, something Jeff has
1: brought up in previous podcasts about how, how if you're winning, you need to know where you want to know where your
2: alpha is coming from. Yeah, exactly. And and if you know where your alpha is coming from and you're happy with what, with that, um, with that difference, like it makes sense to you and you're comfortable with it, then Typically, that won't then be a, a platform for making improvements to the model because it's a kind of difference from the market that you're happy to let be in the future. But I, I, I can see here from our sims for the upcoming US Open, we have Brooks Koepka at 24 to 1, 25 to 1. Wait, oh, I thought Dan said you had him at like 50 to 1 yesterday.
1: Well, I don't know what's changed uh, then. Maybe it's we were talking about some, I mean, we we made some manual changes on Koepka oh, just I because see, yeah, we yeah. de-weighted, we de-weighted, past performance when he was hurt basically, or, or, and there had to be a judgment made there based on what he said about when he was, when he felt healthy again, because I think anybody who follows golf can see that Kepko when he's healthy is a different golfer with them. When, when and he played through, he's willing to play through injuries too. Mm-hmm. He's shown that he played three weeks after having this surgery on a shattered kneecap and like got a fifth place to major, I think. And then, but
2: yeah, so. But that's, that's a good example of the kind of thing that like we haven't gone back and adjusted his historical ratings for the fact that he, he was injured during particular tournaments. That's and something I- we try to do because I know that's something that, I think that's a source of alpha that other
1: people aren't necessarily doing, for sure. right? I mean, that anybody that just has something that's automated, you know, it
2: you're, you're not going to see that. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's an example maybe to Jeff's question earlier about like what's the kind of thing that you've, given up well maybe that was your question i can't remember but what what's an example of something because i haven't been involved in the day-to-day as much that's cost us money i think like going back and adjusting previous golfers rounds to reflect the fact that they're injured is a is an example of that
1: did you ever adjust you know when kevin nas shot that 17 on that one hole did you did you manually change
2: his score there or was he just i don't think so no, this is like was this before you were betting golf oh yeah i don't even remember that so possibly yeah jeff you remember that, right?
0: Kevin Notte was 17 that, but...
1: on at the Texas Open on one hole. Mm. He, he I don't think I've ever gone a to 17 on, on a
0: hole, so that's that's good to know.
1: His ball was, down, was and a he had to try to hit it, it wasn't out of bounce, and he had to try to get it out a series of
0: unplayables, and then just frustration being like, uh uh. Okay. Yeah. So so well, you were you were bringing up Brooks. And then Rufus jumped in on the injury thing. And what was what were, what were you getting to with the looking yeah, my, at those numbers? Yeah, my point converted. there was
2: that, so we make him 25 to 1, and Rufus says maybe it was 50 i well, I'm yes. 26 to 1, I believe. Okay. And I can see the market has him about 14, 15 to 1. And we can look at that and say, okay, is there a problem with our model? Or do we understand the difference between us and the market? And are we happy with it? And in this case, the Brooks Kepka. We've got a big difference between us and the market, and we think we understand why that is. And we think we understand that the market believes that he just plays better in the majors and that that's uh, predictive, meaningful, sustainable. Uh, Whereas with the more data-driven approach, we don't see much um, trend there, or we don't see a trend that we can rely on there. And so we, in the end, give Kepka a much lower chance of winning the U S open this week than the market. And that's probably not something that is going to force us to change our method or try to find a way to improve things. That's more of an example of a time where we look at a difference between us and the market. We understand it and we're happy with it. And we're going to kind of let it ride into the future as well. Kepka is a really interesting example because
1: he's such a historical outlier. He's the best major player in golf history relative to uh, relative to his non majors performance. I'm by some margin. I'm pretty confident about that. I I haven't gone back to the 1990s or even before, but it just it's hard to believe that you'd have somebody like that. But but I mean, I do think there is something predictive there that I found that it's not. Will he continue to be over a shot better per round in majors than non majors? I wouldn't expect so, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but for me i think i have the impact there is about 4 tenths of a stroke or or something in that order
2: but yeah and there's you and, know, there's a lot of like of there's a big puzzle around how you actually test for something like that right because if you just ask your model does kepka play better you know you can't you can't look at just kepka right, right like the whole so you, have thing, you have to, have to look least, at everybody you have to yeah. but when i look at past major performance of all players and use that as an extra data point to see if they play better or worse than expected in future majors i find the effect is very very small major performance relative to expectation correct in the past yeah so like if a player on average plays let's say half a shot better than their expectation in majors is that predictive is that useful for predicting future performance in majors okay it might not be half a shot it might be you know 0.1 of a shot like 20 percent of that but on the whole, I find it to be yeah, probably even lower than twenty percent, like ten like percent. So I take sort of a Bayesian approach to it
1: in terms. So it, it isn't like if you if you're a shot better, you know, ten percent of that will persist. It's more it's going to be influenced by how many rounds you played too. And so for sure. Um, so the approach we take is Bayesian, and so in essence, we're kind of looking at that whole population distribution, and seeing um, if it differs, how much it differs from what we'd expect just due to randomness, and then. And then I test out of sample, test that mm-hmm. go to see going forward how much that um, actually does persist because you can find something and that is an effect. Like a lot of the pressure stuff I found, like you can find some effects there, but like things that do differ from randomness, like, however, it's non-stationary, right? Mm-hmm. Like because Kepka was good relative to, um, in majors relative to non-majors in the past, like we Maybe that maybe that is a skill, but it's a skill that changes. Just like playing under pressure is a skill, but guys get better at it and so, get worse at it sometimes. As guys age, um, they get a little more yippy pressure. with the, oh, with with the yippy. putting. I think with the putting stuff, yeah. at least that's a narrative. It's it's hard, you it's harder to pressure putt if you're older because you your nerves are more afraid or something like mm-hmm. that. But I do think I, I do think having been in those situations. And this is this is me not talking as a modeler, but but um, talking as someone that's bet on a lot of guys that suck under pressure, um, that eventually like there's the whole narrative of like learning how to win, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like you could say, okay, Finau has been very bad in pressure situations until he wasn't, and he got past that hump, and now he's. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect him to,
2: to struggle as much. So, yeah, that that non-stationary aspect definitely makes things trickier. I think it, another thing that makes things trickier is just it also depends what you're already controlling for. Right? Yes. So, like, you might find that, um, let's take another example, like majors, you might find that some players play better than expected in the British Open, right? And you might find that to be predictive in future British Opens. Mm-hmm. But then when perhaps you all of a sudden start accounting for links experience as well, right? You put that into your model as well. And that's then actually, it turns out the underlying reason why players play better in the British Open in future as well and then all of a sudden the the variable that you built to express british open past performance is no longer in the useful model because you're now accounting for lynx experience as well
1: yeah i mean the so, whole british open experience and performance was like a proxy for something exactly clearly right and lynx so,
2: lynx experience might still, be a proxy for something else right like, like where maybe growing, growing up, up yeah, having exactly. played a
1: lot of lynx golf like being british golfers right yeah. but then actually dan and i on the golf course yesterday were talking about like sam Horsfield apparently is British golfer, but, but he in America, He grew up. Yeah. I didn't know this. He he moved to Florida when he was four. So mm. if your model if you have a thing that says, Oh, he's a British golfer, he's gonna be better on links courses, well, this guy probably should not be classified as a British golfer, right? Exactly.
2: Yeah, a lot of time your your job as a modeler or the improvements that you make in a modeler is just finding better and better proxies for things, right? That's like a really good like Yeah, more and more.
1: You know, one thing that I, I've been thinking about lately in terms of trying to find a good proxy for is Sort of the mental strength aspect. Because mm-hmm. I think I mean, I think a lot of the whole major experience and stuff like that is, or not major experience, but major performance relative to expectation is mental. I mean, I think what well, what was Jack Nicholas's quote? He said, like he's already beat half the field before they, they even tee off okay. at a major. He yeah. There are some players that are much men- much stronger mentally. Yeah. Um, and then there's Tyrrell Hatton. So how do you (laughs) quantify
2: mental toughness? It's
1: right. right, Cause I don't have an outcome to measure it, but it's like, I wonder what, what proxies I could use, like bounce back, like after a, after a big score, does the player take more risks or just a way to sort of say, okay, are they going to be able to be comfortable in their headspace, not make dumb decisions? Mm -hmm. And so then part of it's thinking, okay, if someone is a, if someone's kind of a head case, what would we expect to see in their results? This is, by the way, something I haven't done yet. This is just kind of a thought in my head, sure. you know. And if they're really, you know, if they're really strong mentally, what would we expect to see?
2: Yeah. And then
1: just trying to kind of go
2: from there. Yeah, no, it's a, a good thought process. We'll see if it works.
0: Do you, Do you that guys, guys want to? But... Yeah.
2: If you don't say anything, we'll know that it does work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I say are, something, are, yeah. so, um, are there? Let's let's. Work, let's that's
0: why I'm lo-
1: talking about it. Mm
0: let's do a little bit more on specifically on the u.s open and then we can talk a little bit about the ap summit and we can get you guys out of here uh the the uh uh, we have the alternate president's cup today and we tee off in one hour there you go nice what are what are some other um outliers you guys have in the u.s open rufus who who are guys you like um assuming that you're mostly down i would assume i'm a big dislike on I, i also don't like kepka i'm a
1: I also don't like Max Homa. He's in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 to one and I make him 118 to one. I don't know what you make him Will, but I, I think you guys are pretty low on him too from what,
0: um, what Dan said. Everyone's big on him because the narrative around his performance in college where he shot like a 62 there or whatever. And he's very familiar with this golf course. And Jeff, like we,
1: he overperformed his expectation by 12 strokes during that PAC 12 championship in 2013. We have that data. We incorporate that. And I'm using that just like typical course experience. I'm, he's also a California guy that's going to help playing in California. There's also you could he's local i mean there there's some manual bumps you can give there just because like i might have But you just you section.
0: just can't get you can't get to the market
1: oh no i can't get to the market but he's a guy that seems to do very well when he's front running when he's in right. contention he'll have these weeks i mean he's not a carl yuan necessarily but um who i was looking at this guy's data last you know, last year on the corn ferry tour uh, every event was either a miscut or like a top five so i mean it's just the guy homer's a guy who when he's on he he can contend and he's not like all the guys i bet on that end up tied for 35th or tied for 50th and make make all the cuts and just never do anything
2: um yeah he's someone we haven't liked all year relative to the market max homer and he's an interesting one you know that Perhaps it's not as obvious to us, like the Kepka example, as to why we're different from the market on him. But he does seem to have a bit of a sort of brand recognition or name recognition in the market. People like him. He's quite noisy. He's quite active on Twitter. And so people kind of want to bet on him. Um, so perhaps that's why the data-driven approach is so different to the market
0: approach on that one. Are there any guys that you guys like more than the market? We talked about two you Definitely. like less than the market. I like a lot of the I like a lot of the guys up top, honestly.
2: Yeah, I think we're surprisingly uh, short on the favorites as well compared to a normal week. You used to tell I remember you told me before that you never liked favorites. Really, it's quite rare for us. Um, I think I've started to understand why that is and how we might fix the model to kind of make it value the favorites a little bit better. But um,
0: yeah, we like. So we're Rory. talking about like Scheffler, Scheffler, and Rom, and those guys. Or I, I love can- Rory
2: too. We have Rory at 13 to 1. The market, I'm looking at Betfair Exchange right now, seems to have him about 19, 19.5. 19 to 1? Yeah. so You see, can get those prices on him? That'll be 18 to 1, so 19.0. Betting, I know, I mean, but that's still, that's, that's,
1: I mean, from what I'm seeing on the, like US books and stuff, the best really out there is like 14 to 1. So that's a nice price at Betfair. I make him uh, just over 11 to
2: 1. So I have him in ROM territory. Yeah, nice. Uh, um, an do you outsider, like... we like Cameron Davis. We have him at 120 to one, compared to the market, which is at 300 to one.
1: Interestingly, my brother was we at the memorial the other week and um, has a connection to um, Cam Davis's caddy, and got to meet Cam Davis. And, and apparently, Cam Davis is a, uh, a slightly awkward guy. Okay,
2: yeah, we don't factor that into our
1: moral. Tom said he seemed nervous. Tom said that Cameron Davis seemed
2: nervous to meet him. Okay. So perhaps he doesn't have the Max Homer like aura Oh, no, He's just him. not as social.
0: Okay. Rufus, how about you? What other guys you like relative to the market? Um, I like
1: Cam Young a little bit, surprisingly. I make him 46 to 1. This is this is I don't know when this run was last because I'm at the AP summit. I've literally the last few days I've just let everybody let my, my team handle everything. So.
0: You I guys mean, see any value? Is there any value on, I know there normally isn't, but Morikawa has some like injury risk to him. Yeah. So I was wondering if the market suppressed him at all. I'm kind of ha- I actually do show a little
1: value on him. it if it like circa has him at 38 to one, I make him 33 and a half to one. But again, that's not factoring in the injury. And I think, and will I'm sure you, maybe you have something to say on this, but but I'd much, I'd be more likely to bet more on an outright if I have an injury concern than on a matchup. For sure, because if there's like a two percent, you know, if there's a five percent chance he has an injury withdrawal or the injury affects him in a major way, you know, that that is not going to affect the outright price as much as it would for a matchup.
2: No, and yeah, if he's if there's if he's been playing with an injury recently as well, it might mean that he's his ratings are kind of undervalued. And if he's suddenly recovered from that injury, he has this kind of asymmetric upside where all of a sudden he could, he could go big again. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing around injuries, right? It is. It is. And it seemed like his
1: injury kind of came out of nowhere though. Yeah. Or he was, he withdrew when he was, he was top 15 or something going into, was it round three or round four? It, I have no memorial. idea. Again, I yeah. didn't really sweat the the tournaments. Okay. Okay, um, we're gonna do. I like. I like. I like. Okay, uh, Can't lay Xander. I feel like I always like them. in recently, yeah, Xander,
2: we make nineteen. It's
1: one, I make him seventeen. Can't lay eighteen. I make Can't lay fifteen. Okay, so I'm. I'm a little higher than you on on the
2: the the favorites. Yeah, yeah. I think that again might be a weakness in our model that we. we need or weakness play. in my model. <laughs> I prefer Rufus's model to my model. I don't know. Hmm. I we we did a model
1: comparison last year and you you're better at the tails than i am i think exactly. i remember like we, we we're using a year's a year sample right okay a year yeah. or two and your outright numbers were mm-hmm. i remember pretty strong relative to mine and my your matchups my, are much my, much better. my like more median stuff i think sure. you're my strength is predicting the meat of the distribution mm-hmm. i guess and, and you seem to be better at the tails, which in your betting, mostly tail events. So, right.
2: You do a lot more matchups yeah. than we do. Yeah. No, that makes sense.
0: All right. Let's do two minutes on the AP summit. Why are you guys together? What's going on? Like, what is this magical thing that if uh, the casinos could know about, they'd probably just come and hang out and try to obliterate the whole AP world?
1: Um. I'm gonna let Will say what he wants to say. Yeah, oh, just say, say what you want. I mean, hungry. you don't want to talk Will about it, you hungry. don't want to talk about it. Like. It's
2: not like a super secretive, like clandestine underground thing. It's just a gathering of friends in the in the gambling world. And it's been going for eight years now. We do one every year. It used to be a ski trip, now it's a summer trip. It's my fifth. This is Rufus's fifth. Nice. Yeah, you're becoming like a, almost an OG now of, of I, the was, group. I was first invited, what, 2019? I don't even know. And yeah, before I COVID, know, I think. Yeah. Before COVID yeah. for sure yeah so and it's yeah it just kind of compounds each year we we often go to different locations and the group steadily grows uh we try not to let it get too big because we like the big family happy vibe as well and we want to make sure that the people that do come are um nice people and embrace the 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 occasion in general um i know jeff is is kind of been too cool to come in past years but i'm i'm hoping next year we can no i'm i'm
0: i'm in it's not it's not too cool it's too busy usually this would have been a good year to come although i've got a lot going on but um i will do my best to get out there next year so give me give me some advance notice and i'll do my best to get out there
1: you don't even and will does a fantastic job organizing this he puts it all together
0: i don't put it all together though i have a lot of help you do a lot of help you're
1: the chief organizer and with and there's what's interesting about it is it's not a like we we had a poker tournament with a twenty dollars buy in
2: that it's, people it's, take very very seriously as well.
1: It's it's a it's a gambling trip that it doesn't really have a lot of gambling and is am I okay saying this yeah but but and it's not really com- it's not commercialized like nobody's making money off of this
2: it's it's well it's, I'm I made two hundred dollars playing poker last night oh, so that's I true don't know about you Rufus yeah yeah but, but Bill Bill got you in the end yeah second
1: place yeah. I'll take it I think I was the second person to get knocked out of the tournament so and i
0: got knocked out by you oh
2: yeah yeah Yeah, i forgot about that um but was there a bounty on
0: rufus last night there should have been a bounty on rufus yeah maybe
2: maybe i mean
1: i'm 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 the underest of underdogs all
0: right i'm I'm gonna let you guys get back to your summit uh will thanks as always for joining us super fascinating stuff around golf modeling and um really look forward to trying to get out there next year and meet you in person so my pleasure. Um, talk to, yeah, talk to you guys all again soon. Cheers, Joe. So that was our interview with Will Sarah uh, with Will uh, Sarah on Twitter. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't even really know Will. Will's like from Points Unknown or something like that. But hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. It was a sort of incredible, um, you know, deep dive, kind of nerding out on the whole idea of golf modeling and whatnot um we are we're going to cut this short because obviously that interview ran well um hopefully you guys all have some good u.s open picks if i were to distill what i heard from the guys um generally that the there's no there's not real data to support this idea that brooks um should be where he is that homa should be where he is so i'm not sure if that necessarily means you should fade them if you can fade them in in some way shape or form maybe that's uh, a good thing to look at although you know outrights and matchups aren't always the same because ultimately um a lot of that value in in uh in matchups is going to be extracted by um the opinion of people like unfortunately like rufus so uh in terms of um you know outrights and again like a lot of this value just gets sucked out because of um, where we are right now and, and, and whatnot. Um, unless you have like outs on things like, um, you know, Betfair or any of these exchanges where you can get better pricing. Um, but it does seem like Rory, maybe the, the hate's gone a little far on him in terms of his poor performance in, in majors. Um, Rufus mentioned Cantlay and Shoffley, which are guys that he typically likes. Um, I always have a special place in my heart for Morikawa. Um, Will Will gave you a, a a deep long shot in Cam Davis, and then uh, actually Cam Young was interesting just because he's kind of like this young and upcoming. And I, I saw a stat about him being pretty poor at strokes gained approached in the majors, and so I wonder if again like the the, the interesting thing I think about. Uh, a lot of this analytics stuff, especially as it pertains to golf now, and and maybe we'll get Rufus to talk about this the next time um, we, we talk about golf, but it's this idea that there are certain analytics and metrics that are becoming almost like mainstream and have those people that outperform in those mainstream metrics, like strokes gained approach or something like that, has that become something that is almost overvalued by the market and no longer has value from an analytics standpoint. And I, again, this is this concept that when analytics become and certain analytics become more mainstream, there's not a ton of value to using them because the market incorporates them so much already. So, um, maybe that's a conversation for another time with people that actually do the sports modeling like Rufus. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast and we'll talk to you guys all again next week.